Good morning and welcome to our online audience. <laughs> we can't ad-lib too much yet. She's, she's doing really good. Well, I think at this time the children's choir is going to sing, so if those kiddos will come on. They've worked really hard, and so uh, we're sure proud of them. I love getting lots of them involved. To spy on Caymans, and we're bad, and two we're good. What's the thing when they spied on Caymans, and we're bad, and two we're good? Some saw giants, big and tall. Some saw grapes and glass and fall. Some saw copper overall. Then we're bad, and two we're good.
I'm going to visit with you about the offering this morning. Uh, about February 2019, I was I ran across this deal, and it was uh, it was called the Great Tithing Experiment. And each week we'd talk about the there's ten baby steps to tithing, and and then I think Kelly thought softball tournaments got in the way, and that was the that was the end of the we never got to the results. <coughs> so. Um, in, in Malachi 3.10, the word says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and there will be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And uh, what, this, what this deal did was they took, uh, it was actually a scientific approach, which was pretty cool. They took a whole bunch of tithers and non-tithers and, and they they tracked them and, and, and a whole bunch of, on a whole different scale of, of uh, marital bliss and all kinds of stuff like that. And what they did was they tithed for five months and at the end of the five months, 
they uh, they reported their findings, and I've, it's it's a 38-page deal, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give you the whole the whole $10 version. I'll give you about the 350 version, but um, it was it was really interesting that. Um, Oh, for instance, 81% had increased their spiritual well-being just after tithing. And then, uh, oh, 35% improved their marital relationships. What was really interesting was almost all categories, tithers and non-tithers, after five months of, of tithing religiously, so to speak, um, there were issues with the children dissatisfaction with children and it was across almost everybody and I, I thought well that's kind of weird but when I got to looking at the uh, the reasoning behind it it made a lot of sense because when you're when you're focusing focusing on getting your money together and, and tithing like like you want um, little Elizabeth doesn't get everything she wants at Walmart and that causes lots of problems and and I, as soon as I thought about that, I went, oh, that makes a lot of sense because we definitely have, have our, little, our little angels that are used to getting everything they want. And then and once you start focusing on where your money's going and stuff like that, it, that changes and, and that, it made a lot of sense then. But uh, the, the category with most improvement was problem solving communication followed by time spent together. This is, this is with, the, with the families. Um, Aggression decreased by 44% in, in, the, in the people that were tithing. There's, there's some other categories, not for little ears, but they, they improved also. There was a huge decrease in materialism, which that makes sense. They, they say the effects of tithing on materialism, materialism is the love of possession. Psychologists tell us people that, who are less materialistic are generally and emotionally more healthy people. The Bible says that Less materialistic people increase their capacity to love God and love people too. But uh, it, it just goes on and on. If, if uh, it's it's really worth the read, if if you all would like to would like a copy of it or something like that, we can arrange that. But but it's 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 really interesting. And what's cool about it is it it uh, <laughs> it throws science into into something we're taught, you know, the, by the Word of God. And so it, it uh, it's just further further justification for doing what we do and why we do it. But uh, Barry Cameron said, if it's so easy to trust God to save us, why is it so hard to trust him when he tells us to test him when it comes to tithing? Let that sink in for a little bit. But uh, with that, we'll go to prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and this time and this place that we can gather together and worship you. We, we thank you for these tithes and these offerings. And we pray in Jesus' name that they will do work in, in your kingdom. Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory in everything we say and do in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you will stand with me, we're going to sing a couple of Christmas carols and Start this Christmas season off with joy to the world, all right? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven sing. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nation prove the joys of his right, his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders and wonders of his love. Well, praise the Lord. Sometimes, you know, you have to read the words that are on the screen, right? All right. Okay. Good Christian men rejoice. And let's just be a joyful group here. And I can't wait to hear what um, 
uh, Cody has to bring us, but also to prepare our hearts for communion that's uh, coming up next. Thank you. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Give you heed to what we say. News, news, Jesus Christ is born today. Oxen ask before him bow, and he is in the manger now. Christ is born today. Christ is born today. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and rise. Now we hear the endless bliss. Joy, joy, Jesus Christ was born for this. He hath opened heaven's door. Man is blessed forevermore. Christ is born for this. Christ is born for this. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now you need not fear the grave. Peace, peace, Jesus Christ was born to save. Calls on one and calls you all to gain this everlasting whole. Christ was born to save. Christ was born to save. You may be seated. We want to prepare our hearts to uh, receive communion. I, you know, I love uh, that teaching and that sharing that Cody shared on on the offering. You know, part of living the life as a Christian and the examples that the scientific community can prove the Bible. That's always an awesome thing. That, uh, but we know the truth from God's Word that if we yield to Him in every way, that we release ourselves for the power of God to be at work in our lives. And communion is, is in that same example of, of us remembering and surrendering. When we remember what Jesus did for us, that, that's that time of setting the heart, our hearts and, and the value of what God's done in our lives. And you know, the Apostle Paul was teaching the Corinthians to re remember what Jesus established before He went to the cross. That the body was broken for us for our healing, our restoration. And the blood was shed that we could be forgiven, be restored, have the power of the cross at, at, at our remembrance keeps us free so let's, let's pray over this bread. Father, we just thank and praise you that, that this little wafer represents the body of Christ. It's a, it's, a, it's a bread not for nourishment. It's a bread not for taste. But it's to, to remind us of the power of the cross, the power of, of what was being established as Jesus was willing to take the stripes for us. Grace is the, is the ability to receive something even when he can't earn it and don't deserve it. But, but mercy, Lord God, mercy is not receiving what we deserve. Father, I thank you and I praise you that, that even though we, we've done enough to receive a payment for sin, that payment was paid for by Jesus Christ. And, and Lord, in, the, in that redemptive provision was also healing. Healing from every scar, healing from every emotional wound, healing from physical and mental and, and, and every type of area that, Lord God, Jesus demonstrated your will for healing. So, Father, as we prepare to receive this, we by faith also receive your healing power. So, Father, we just thank you and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can receive this together. You know, the Bible says here in, in 2 Corinthians, the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took of the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this when you drink it in remembrance of me. You know, we remember the, the value of the cross. We remember the blood of Jesus. But we don't just remember it 
picturing him there on the cross, we also need to remember that no matter what we've done, no matter how great a sin, that, that the power of the blood of Jesus is greater. We often sing that song, what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So let's pray over this as well. Father, we just come before you today and, and again thanking you and praising you for what you've done, for what you've provided. And Lord God, we lift this cup to, to remember the power of the cross, the power of the blood, the freedom that's provide, provided, the forgiveness of sin, the washing of, of us as clean, being made children of God and being made in your righteousness in your holiness, in your, in your blessedness. And Father, we receive it by faith, knowing that every power of sin over us is broken, that we're free in you. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive that together. Father, we just thank you and we praise you that, that Lord, for those that are here today that, that might be carrying a burden, a past scar that needs to be healed, or a present thought of and remembrance or, or even a practice of sin that needs to be, they need to be delivered from. That Father, the power of the communion cup and the bread which we receive can break that. But Father, also, at any moment, any time that we have sin as an issue, that we simply repent. Your word says in 1 John 1, 9 that we're forgiven and we're cleansed from all unrighteousness. We give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Kids can be dismissed. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. I saw something here just a minute ago that I want to talk about before. Before we start with the message this morning, young man, your questions are awesome. How many times have, has he been in church? Second time. So the first time was the last time you were here. We'll get all your questions answered. You just keep coming. He didn't know what was going on. Boy, it just... Poof. He was asking questions and you were answering them. That communion's for everybody. Thank you for sharing with them. Because they won't understand for a long time. It took me 28 years. But you let him in and he'll start planting seeds. It might take 20 years before they're ready to harvest. Thank you for bringing them. I wish I could keep you all in here all day. But now you can be dismissed. Ah. Uh, yeah. Well, good morning. <clears throat> I'm going to regain my composure. I promise. Might not keep it. You know, I, I, last time I was up here, I, I didn't get everything said that, that the Lord had given me, and I thought, okay, I'm going to finish where I started. And for a couple weeks, I've been preparing and looking at my notes, and, and it's been a busy week, and last night I was trying to finish up, and in about an hour and a half, the Holy Spirit filled me up, and I went completely off page, and I got the whole new set of notes. And I, my wife came in. I was sitting in my chair and, and finishing her notes. She goes, you done? I said, yeah, and I'm in love with what God does because I went totally in a different path. But I asked before I started because I said, Lord, I don't want this to be my message. I want this to be your message. And I've been watching and, and reading and listening, and, and I've learned that that's what we are here for. We are message deliverers every day. Whether you're speaking or not, you deliver a message on behalf of the one who saved us. And I want to ask you a question this morning to, to set your heart on the path that led me to, to hearing what God had for us is, why are you here? Why'd you come? Did you, did you come just for you so that you can go home and take your message with you and keep it to yourself all week? 
Or did you come to replenish the energy that God's filled you with to be able to deliver this message to someone else? And when I first came to church, I was here for me. And the, and the whole time before all the different pastors and ministers and priests, I've been to Catholic churches, I've been to all different kinds of churches, and each one they've tried to speak to me and I wasn't having nothing they were saying. I wasn't even there for me then. But I want to challenge you this morning to, to hear this word that God's put in me to, to grab another gear, is the way I say it whenever we're working. Grab another gear and take a next step and start thinking about what God's speaking to you and how you can deliver that in a time whenever He puts you in a situation to pass that message. God is awesome. We, uh, we, haven't get, we don't get to see Him in person, and, and I think about that a lot. There's questions that I wrote like that young man was asking the first times I came to church is, why can't I hear God? Why can't I see God? I hear people talk about it all the time. Well, God said this, and, I'm, and I don't hear anything. Or I've seen God in this, and I'm thinking, I just saw with what my eyes saw, and I didn't see anything. There must be something wrong with me. Why can't I see Him? In Ezekiel, I'm so wound up I can't get my hands to work. Mm. They're going to come alive. In Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 25, you see in, in the Old Testament, the hand of the Lord was upon all the prophets, all those who were called to speak. The hand of the Lord was literally on them before they were able to hear or see or speak with God. The hand of the Lord was on Ezekiel. In verse 25, he said, Then came a voice from above the vault over their head as they stood with lowering wings, and above the vault over their heads would look like a throne of lapis lazuli. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw from what appeared to be from his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And from there down... He looked like fire, and a brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds. On a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, and when I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the one speaking. There's not a, a statue of God sitting up here. We cannot see God because if you see God, and I've read it in multiple places, you will fall face down because you are not worthy to lay your eyes upon Him. That's why we can't see Him around us. Ezekiel was lifted up by the Son of Man, or lifted up by the Spirit, and God spoke to him and said, Son of Man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. And as he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard the one speaking to me, and God said that He was sending him out to a rebellious nation. See, Ezekiel didn't have very much fun. He was called to deliver a message to a rebellious, cold-hearted, stiff-necked, running from God, fighting people who didn't want to hear what he had to say. He said, I'm sending you to someone who for generations has revolted against me. He said, I want you to tell him what I tell you to say. Tell all of them. He said, don't be afraid or be terrified by them, although they are rebellious, because God knew they would reject Him. He said, you must speak my words to them, whether they fail to listen or listen. You must speak it. He said, but you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like the rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. This morning we took communion. We opened our mouths we took what God gave us, which was further down the line in the New Testament when He gave us Jesus, someone that we could look upon without falling face down in shock. He gave us someone that we could look upon that was so easy to look upon that we looked past Him. But for that, we were able to receive communion this morning and invite the Lord into our hearts. I'm going to take you over here into... Uh, Acts real quick, just to give one more example of this light, and then we'll, then we'll start down the message. You know, when Saul was converted, a very similar thing happened as to what Ezekiel just said. He said in uh, Acts chapter 9, he said, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, and he went to the high priest and asked for letters in the synagogues 
in Damascus, so that if he found anyone who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them prisoners. He wanted authorization from the leaders of the Jewish community to be able to take Christians into captivity and jail them and beat them and kill them. He said as he neared Damascus on his journey to receive those instructions, a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now I'm going to skip down to verse 9. For three days after this happened, he was blind. He couldn't eat or drink anything for three days, and he was blind. Now I couldn't remember how long you can live without food or water, so I Googled it last night. Guess how long you can live without water? Three days. Think that's a coincidence? Now Saul was a powerful man. A, a, a Saul, I don't know if I just said Paul or Saul. Saul was a powerful man in the Jewish community and a Roman citizen and had a lot of authority and was really good at taking people captive. He was strong in the world. There are different types of people who will bring the message forth of, of what Jesus has brought to us. There are those who are strong in the world and, and you think you've got it figured out like Saul and you need a flash of light and blinding and then you still, even though he was blind, I wondered this, I wondered why was he, did he not eat for three days? Blind would be bad enough. Let somebody feed you. Well, God wouldn't let him eat because he was still strong. Even without his eyes, he wasn't going to change the way that he felt about the Christians and, and what his job that he thought he was called to do. So they starved him and, and didn't let him drink to where he was so completely empty of himself that in that moment he could be filled with God. In that moment when he was so weak and nearly dead, that was when he could receive what God had called him for. And, and as you read through the, the New Testament, you'll find that the Apostle Paul is one of the most brilliant, well-spoken, well-versed, well-traveled deliverers of the message of God in the history of the Bible. But it took him to be empty of himself before he got there. I'm going to go back to Ezekiel now. Chapter 3. Should have kept it marked. Chapter 3, verse 16. Now see, Ezekiel had been called. His hand was upon him. He was delivering the message that that God had called him to deliver. It says in chapter 3, verse 16, At the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked person, you will, excuse me, you will surely die. And you do not warn them or you speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life. That wicked person will still die for their sin. And I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person, and they do not turn from their wickedness, or, or, and they do turn, excuse me, from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they will die for their sin. But you will have saved yourself. Now what a tough message to deliver. How many times, I often think about people who are called to be with, with folks who have run from God a long time, and they're, they're in the hospital, and they're on their deathbed, and, and in that moment... God calls you to go in and speak to someone who is at the end of their time on earth, transitioning into a new time. They are going to die. They will surely die. But you have to be there to deliver the word anyway. You have to be there to deliver the word that God calls you to deliver. How challenging would that be? How many times, I can, I can tell you a lot of times in the past couple years that I see somebody that I know needs God because they look just like me when I looked in the mirror two, three years, years ago. And I want to deliver this message to them that I'll break through and I go tell them what I need and they run from me and they're gone. And then I know what path they've gone down and I think, oh, this is terrible. I didn't want to do that. Lord, I wanted to save them like you saved me. Why, why did I fail? Ezekiel wasn't failing because he delivered the message to a lost person. He was fulfilling what God had told him to do. In verse 20, it says, again, when a righteous person turns from their righteousness and does evil, and I put a stumbling block before them, they will die. Since you did not warn them, they will die for their sin. The righteous things that a person did will not be remembered, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. 
righteous people, good people in the eyes of the community of the, of the Jewish religion. People who are righteous, you don't worry about them. I'm out here trying to save sinners. And the righteous die for their sin. And Ezekiel gets held accountable. I think we get pretty laxed in the fact that Jesus died for us and we're saved. Okay, I messed up. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I'm going to go back. I'm going to try. This week I'm going to be good. And then next week I'm probably going to fail again. Thank you, Lord Jesus. What if Jesus hadn't come? What if this was the outcome? You were a good person, 99 years out of 100, and you're 99 and a half year before you pass away, you failed, and God says, I forgot everything you did for the last 99 years, and you will die for your sin. He says, but if you warn that righteous person not to sin, and they do not sin, they will surely live because they took warning, and you will have saved yourself. I'm a, this is the, the last vision of God that I've, that I've got here. The hand of the Lord was on me there, and he said, Get up and go to the plain, and I will speak to you. And so I got up, and I went to the plain, and the glory of the Lord was standing there just like the glory I had seen by the Kabar River. And again, I fell face down. And the Spirit came and raised me up. Twice he saw him, twice he fell. He'd been getting spoke to since the first time he saw the glory of the Lord and was fell face down. The Lord picked him up once. Look at me and do what I tell you. Seen him again. Boom. Down again. That's how powerful God is. Thank God for Jesus. Now, Ezekiel was tasked to be a watchman, accountable for the lives that he failed. In the, in the notes of my, of my study Bible, it says that watchmen in those old days stood on towers and walked the walls to be able to tell if enemies were coming to strike them down. And if you fell asleep and the enemy came and killed the village, and any of them lived, the watchman would die because he failed to do his job. You fell asleep. Think about back to the, the garden when Jesus was in agony and all the apostles were falling asleep. If that would have been just God, pre-Jesus, what would have happened to those guys? They were watchmen. Jesus called them to watch. He said, can you not stay awake for just a minute? They couldn't do it. They fell asleep. That's a powerful task. I've... I don't know about you, but I, I kind of take on the responsibility of a watchman of at least my people that I have under me at my business, my children, my wife, myself. Kind of need to take watch because we will be held accountable. Jesus is coming back and he's going to come back with the same authority that Ezekiel was experiencing pre-Jesus. He was... Called to live in a rough place. I, I kept thinking about Justin Todd Herod. He can speak to people that many of us can't. He called from a rough place and sent back into a rough place. He, when he comes and talks to us, he, he speaks about the victories. How many times did he deliver a message that wasn't received? I wonder. How many of those skeletons does he see? But he still keeps coming. He still keeps stepping up. I believe that's because... God and Jesus has called him, and he's got the ability to go to places that we, we can't even imagine. Let's go to Acts chapter 7. Now Stephen was an apostle. We're going to go to chapter 7, verse 51. Many of you who've read this know that Stephen was called into the twelve to be an apostle after... Judas had done what he did and left. Stephen was called to deliver a pretty rough message. He was put in front of the Pharisees and Sadducees and had to deliver a message, and they were grilling him about Jesus, and he was pretty bold, pretty young, didn't have a whole lot of authority to be standing in that, that place that he was standing to deliver that message. This is the message that he ended with, pretty bold. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. Uh, spoiler alert, that didn't go very well. They... 
They stoned him to death for what he said. Now Stephen, as he was being stoned, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Do not hold this sin against them, he said. And he died. Now here's the transition. In chapter 8, verse 1, it said, And Saul approved of their killing of him. Now Saul is where we're going to transition to, into Paul. How awesome is God to take someone who approved of killing someone to deliver a message to people that were stiff-necked and whatever else. I can only imagine the new words that would have been used if we were called to deliver a message to those kind of people today. And Saul approved of it, stood by and watched it happen, and, and green light go. That was, that was what Saul wanted. In Acts chapter 9... I'm going to go a little farther. Let's go to 22. I want to hear what Saul, the Paul says about his experience. In chapter 22, Paul stood and was delivering a, a message in Aramaic. He said, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, and brought up to this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as you are today. I persecuted the followers of His way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can testify themselves. I obtained letters from their associates in Damascus, and when there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished, it was about noon as I came near Damascus, and suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me, and I fell to the ground. And I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. He said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. My companions saw the light, but they could not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. Get up, he said. Go to Damascus. There you'll be told all you've been assigned to do. And my companions led me by hand because of the brilliance of the light had blinded me. Even those who were traveling with Saul, that saw the light, didn't even know what they saw, but it blinded them a little bit too. I love his testimony about this. The fact that he's willing to describe his weakness and how it happened. That he saw the light, a strong man, he saw it, was blinded and fell. Now each of us will be blinded in our own way as we come along in this path. Some of you have been blinded long ago, accepted the task, learned what we've been assigned to do and move forward. There's a lot of us here who are young, new families, new young men who are here for the second time that we don't have that message yet. We don't have that assignment yet. We may question whether or not we can fulfill the assignment, whether or not we can get there. It's a challenge. It's really, really, really hard to hear an assignment. We're not all called down the same path. We might not all be on the road to Damascus when the light flashes and blinds us. We might be in Damascus doing something else. We might not be there yet, but we will all be called. We will all be blinded. Now he took... He, shared this message. This is his testimony to prove that what happened when he was Saul and had become Paul. He accepted the weakness. Now as he was a Roman citizen, the Romans called him to appear before the Sanhedrin in, in chapter 23. He went to go fulfill. It sounds a lot to me like what Stephen was, was called to deliver. He looked straight at the Sanhedrin in chapter 23 verse 1. He said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good consciousness to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Now he's the high priest who's supposed to be preaching God's Word. I've never heard God tell me to strike somebody on the mouth. Probably didn't come from God. Paul's response is awesome. He said, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. 
A whitewashed wall is something that looks good from the outside and holds something pretty dirty on the inside. He said, you sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you violate yourself the law by commanding that I be struck. Now, here's another no-no. You're not supposed to say that to the chief priest. I bet the chief priest hadn't been spoken to like that in a long time. Those who were standing near Paul said, How dare you insult God's high priest? And Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize he was the high priest. For it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. A pretty powerful word. I didn't realize he was a high priest because he didn't conduct himself in a manner that would allow me to recognize that he's supposed to be a leader of the Word of God. I fall into that trap as well. I had a conversation with my family a week ago that was pretty one-sided, and had it been a few years ago, it would have went a whole lot different. I am not the same person I was a few years ago, but since then I've not really been home. And so I might look like a pretty well whitewashed wall. As we sat in this conversation, everybody here, me here, pretty one-sided. I heard their responses that were very similar to the same responses that I had been hearing my whole life in a completely different manner. The things that they would have said that would have offended me to the point of throwing my hands in the air storming out the door and probably not going back, I actually heard him. And I heard what I was supposed to do to change in me. And I would not have done that before. I don't take well to being attacked. It, it was needed. When we got done with the, the uh, discussion, my, my dad said, he said, you, you know, we needed to do this. I said, we didn't need to. Never need to have those discussions. He said, well, don't you feel better? I said, not really. Matter of fact, I feel exhausted, and if I can relate it to anything, I'm going to have a hangover tomorrow. That's what it felt like. Emotionally drained. Kelly and I were talking about this on Friday. Sometimes you'll be put in positions just like that chief priest that, that Paul is telling the business. You might not be ready for that conversation at the exact time it happens. God has to fill you so full of the Holy Spirit and Jesus has to be with you that you can absorb those words. Energy never leaves. It just transfers. If you get it off of your chest and into somebody else's, guess what? The energy ain't gone. It might be off your chest and then they're going to carry it. Now who you deliver that energy to, can they carry it the same way you carried it for as long as you carried it? With the grace that you might have carried it? Most likely not. Most likely, they will go up to the next person and call him to be punched in the mouth. You have to be able to absorb that energy. That's, that is what I have seen the most powerful thing in being able to hear God is to be able to hear the people that are placed in front of me in a different light. Instead of rejecting or hearing them the way that I want to hear them, I've started hearing them the way God wants me to hear them through the filter of Jesus, through the filter of the one who says, love them first, then you'll see. Now, Paul, we're going to continue reading through this. Paul said, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others Pharisees, because Paul's in pretty hot water. He just got threatened to be punched in the mouth by the head, and now he's got everyone standing around him wanting to take him out. He said, he called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I'm a Pharisee, de descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And when he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. You see, the Sadducees said that there was no resurrection and that there are neither angels nor spirits. But the Pharisees believed all these things. So God gave him a diversion. He threw a little deal and backed up, and they came together and started fighting each other, and Paul slipped out the back. The following night, I love this, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul, and he said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Paul's thinking, whew, got out of that one. 
And God says, congratulations, we're going to go do this again in a place that they have never heard anything like what you're getting ready to say. That, to me, relates back to Ezekiel. He thought he, thought he could deliver the message and God would take care of it and deliver it and, and he wasn't going to be judged by the outcome. Through Jesus and, and the Apostle Paul, he was able to deliver a message to people who didn't really want to hear it very badly. And then he got told, congratulations, we got out of this one, I'm sending you for round two. And three and four and five and on down the line, and every day there's a new battle. And everything that he learned about hearing God, see, he didn't, it said Paul knowing that some were Sadducees and others Pharisees. What it doesn't say is that he didn't know that through his own words and his own mind. God gave him that message at the right time. Here, get out. Here's your exit. Two different leaders with strikingly different beliefs split the council is what it says and saved him. Take courage, then go and do it again. Now, eventually Paul was beaten, placed in chains. All kinds of things had happened to him on down the line, and in each and every one of them, he saw the glory of God in it and was able to turn it for the good. I didn't give you this scripture, so they're just going to have to listen to me. Sorry, buddy. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, it says, as Paul was in chains and advancing into the gospel, he said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now think about Stephen being stoned to death at the feet of Saul. He was killed because Saul approved. But then Paul advanced the gospel. Do you think that Stephen, if he had known that Paul was going to be able to take the same message that he was called to deliver and died for, do you think he would have willingly went up there and delivered that message? Lord, I'm, I'm going to go die for you so that you can let this man who's judging and condemning me carry the same message that I felt to a T to the same people. Stephen said, I am called to deliver this message. And he was killed. And then Paul picks up the torch and runs with it. Would he have let him carry that torch? Don't have the answer. Just something that I wonder. He said, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare to dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now see, when you're a leader or when you're called to carry a message and something blows up along the way, you might get put in jail or if you're, uh, I don't have a better word other than boss, but if you own the company and you got to make decisions someone else doesn't want to and it goes badly and you respond poorly, will the rest of them left behind follow you? Or will you accept your chain, accept your punishment, and flip it for the good? Because that's what God does. Everything is for the good. Everything is for the good. No matter how bad it is, everything is for the good. No matter if you are the one who has to lay down your life in pursuit of someone or a message to be delivered, knowing full well that you won't get to see the glory of it revealed in your life on earth, someone else will pick up where you left off. We are all here because of seeds planted before us. As a church, this church is here. What, I think my, what's the number? 18? What's the number on the church up when it was built? Colbert was walking up the church, so all he said this morning was, 1894, and opened the door. What is he talking about? And then I heard it. You hear God. God speaks. He speaks through us now. That's why he sent Jesus. Before, God had to have his hand upon you to be able to deliver a message that he called you to deliver. Now, if you accept Jesus into your life and make him your Lord, you can carry every message in any moment through the Holy Spirit to anyone God sends to you at any appointed time. How many of you have laid your hands on somebody and prayed for them? Some of the best leaders. How many of you have thought or prayed or just had good vibes? I've heard this word, good vibes get thrown out towards people. Those vibes are the Spirit, they're not vibes. And you've seen a change. You could not do that before Jesus. No matter how well you were called or read the Word or felt like you could bring it forth, if God didn't have His hand on you, no one would listen to you. 
Through Jesus in you, everyone can listen to you. They might not receive the word that you plant right then, but down the line, generations, a hundred and however many years it's been since this church is built, I have the opportunity to stand up here and speak. You have the opportunity to stand up here. You have the opportunity. Everyone here has an opportunity. That young man with all his questions has seeds planted in him today that you may not see fulfilled. Somebody will. Somebody will. Carry that message and advance the gospel. What time do we get out of here? Right now? Good, because I'm about wrapped up. I was thinking this was going to be a short message, and then with everything that happened this morning, I thought it worked out just great. I want to read this real quick. My footnotes in this study Bible on chapter 1, verse 20 said, To those who don't believe in God, life on earth is all there is. And so it is natural for them to strive for these world's values, money, popularity, power, pleasure, and prestige. I would add title, a pat on your back. Uh, you deserve to get that off your chest. Uh, here, don't you feel better after you get into a big cussing match? For Paul, however, to live meant to develop eternal values and to tell others about Christ who alone could help them see life from an eternal perspective. His whole purpose was to speak out boldly for Christ and to become more like Him. Everything He said, He would say in confidence. Chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ. To die is to gain. It doesn't say to live is money, to live is power, to live is title, to live is to buy this house, to live is to make sure your kids get straight A's and get on the refrigerator. To live is Christ. We're all called by God in our own form, our time and our place. We are all different, but led by the same Spirit. This is my last scripture, and we'll wrap it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but in all them and everyone in it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of Spirit is given for the common good. To each one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of that same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that same Spirit, to another miraculous powers, prophecy, and to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to others interpreting those different kinds of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes each one as He determines. God has put the body together. This is... Verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 24. God has put the body together, giving great honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that as parts should have equal concern for each other. Each of us has our own race, our own path, our own moment, our own flash of light. Accept the challenge. Start living as though you were called to deliver others and not just yourself. Now, I will say, you've got to get yourself together before you can go start speaking to others. And then just by the time you get it together, you might say something wrong to somebody and drive them away. It'll all be okay. We'll pray over the service this morning. We can go get the kids. Heavenly Father, I thank you that when I thought about the message that I wanted to deliver... You changed it. That I ate the word that you had put before me so that I could stand up here and deliver what you had to say, Lord. And I know that the words that I speak are your words. Father, because I, I want to hear you. I want these people to hear you. I want to see you, Lord. I want to be hit with a flash of light. So much so that I need sunglasses when I leave. Father, I want you to fill me, I thank you that you have. I thank you that you've sent Jesus that we may know what it's like to carry your power within us to deliver your message for your glory. 
I thank you for these people, Lord. I, I thank you for the opportunity to stand up here and to let my mouth speak what you have filled me full of. Lord, it's not about us. It's about this life and the walk that exemplifies what you does, that gives glory to your son's name, that gives glory to the spirit that you fill us with, and it gives glory to you. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.